0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome to the MBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. As well as new content, we are making available selected podcasts recorded by our hosts prior to joining the NBM family. This is one of them, and so this podcast may refer to itself with a different name and identity. Enjoy the show. What's going on here is beyond normal. It's completely extraordinary in a very positive way. Business brings the world together. It may be quite brutal, it may be quite you know, simple, it may not be very intellectual or, or refined, but there's something about the entrepreneurship.
2: There are only two kinds of people. that The ones that are discouraged by failure and the ones that are encouraged by failure. And that's what makes the difference.
0: It's Innovation in Europe by Project Kazimierz. Now another episode with your hosts, Richard Lucas and Samuel Cook. Hello again, Project Kazimierz listener. This is Sam Cook, the co-host of Project Kazimierz, uh, sitting here with Richard Lucas, as always. How are you doing, Richard? I'm doing very well. All right, Richard, today, uh, as as is the tradition, you bring one of your contacts or friends from the uh, startup community here in Krakow and we're going to interview him. And, uh, so we have a, an interesting, uh, case today here of, uh, Vincent who's from France Richard why don't you tell us a little bit more about Vincent and then we'll introduce him
1: okay well I mean uh, as a well educated British person my French my French is way worse than a well educated French person's English Vincent, Vincent uh, I'm sure Vergen Jean uh, is a uh, I, I met, I met uh, three or four years ago I suppose when he was presenting at a startup community event and I, he's a very busy guy I'm a very busy guy so we don't meet that often but we got to know each other and certainly clicked at a business and personal level and uh, when I I remember Vincent making an announcement about the sort of project he wanted to run, but uh, so Vincent, well, well, but I think rather than me introduce him, I'd like you to do it yourself, Vincent. So why don't you explain your background before you moved to Poland, what what brought you here, and what you tried to do, and then maybe we'll we'll move on to the success story of the company you now run.
2: Sure. Hi Sam. Hi Richard. Um, thanks for me. Thanks for having me here. How I came here is uh is is the, I'm, I'm in the video game business. Uh I'm am a programmer by uh, uh, by trade. But in 2009 I I actually uh co-founded a company called Kobojo which was a social gaming company which which got some quite some success at the time. We were one of the first French company to uh, to have uh the social games on Facebook. We we had over a million daily active users. We raised quite a quite a large amount of money, about seven point five million dollars in two thousand eleven. Uh, grew the business to ninety people, and uh, for for plenty of uh, of reason, mostly personal, I actually moved to Poland in two thousand twelve, uh, and and set up a, a, new, uh, a new a new new video game company. Um, the, the, the shape of that new company, obviously, was 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 uh, was. Highly influenced by all the learnings that I had uh, growing such a, I mean, I would say not a large business, but at least medium sized business and 90 people start to be uh, quite a, uh, quite a madhouse. Um, And, uh, and it's been two years, two years and a half actually I've been here and things are going pretty well. Okay.
1: Okay. And um, when you came, you were presented as a highly successful uh, French entrepreneur with the Cobojo Kobo- success story. I later discovered that you know I think, I think originally you were perceived as like a multi multimillionaire who was fabulously wealthy, and uh, it turned out that it wasn't it wasn't quite that good. But it, on the other hand, you had you had enough security to come here and take some risks. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, actually, we we uh, to to share some details on that. Actually, we uh, the, we did not uh, sell the company, but we did exit. Uh, uh, by selling uh, a company that Kobojo used to. And so I, I came to Poland without uh, too much financial trouble um, and uh, and took advantage of that freedom to actually set up uh, everyday play and self-finance it. Uh, spent some time also in the community looking at uh, where I could invest some of my money. Uh, but uh, it was one of the, the lessons is that, uh, raising money is—it was extremely uh, useful for Kubota at the time, but it comes also with some trades. And and starting from scratch, I definitely knew I wanted to uh, uh, get that, uh, that that freedom of uh, self founding and so I was I was uh, lucky to be able to do so.
0: Vincent, one of the really interesting points you just brought up that I'd like to dig into a little bit and emphasize there is—is is having raised money once before understanding. Uh, that it's, it's not all roses when you do raise money and, and wanting to self-finance that. I think one of the misconceptions I see in the startup community here, and it's, it's common, I think, in any startup community is the goal is to raise money, uh, because entrepreneurs see that as a badge of success. How, how would you, uh, talk someone through your experience of, of dealing with raising money and, and why it's good to, to try and self-finance as long as humanly possible?
2: well so the the first of all raising money is an incredibly uh defocusing um, exercise it just takes a lot of your energy and we're very lucky at kobojo we actually uh, had one of the um you know one of the most experienced financial advisor we we could find into raising this money they helped us all like even through even making some of our decks, organizing all, all our meeting. And even with this help, uh, raising that money uh, took some time. And, um, and I think that when you're in the early stage, especially if you try to disrupt, this is a major defocus. And I have plenty of sorry, of people who actually just, uh, just got everything wrong because they didn't manage to get a product right because they're so busy, constantly on the road, trying to convince people to put money in. And also didn't get to chance to raise money because they were so focused on that that the product didn't work out. So uh, when it came to due diligence and getting closer to numbers, things were not really pink. I think there is a huge value. I'm a huge, huge believer. Everywhere I go, I've been, in, I've been uh, lucky enough to be invited to to mentor uh, or to talk about my experience. The the one key thing that I do for every single of the company I've funded is is actually follow the, the lean startup model. I'm a huge fan of that. I'm an engineer, so it helps a lot that I can build things by myself. Uh, I just need my sweat, my patience, and my time. Um, and but I'm a huge believer in trying really hard. And sometimes it's not even building a product. There's uh, there's a fabulous book on this, which is called Running Lean, where the author uh, explained how we even how he built that, how he wrote that book, and the minimum viable product of that book was just. A single blog post where he was saying, "Hey, I'm reading this book in July this year. If you're interested, uh, leave your email." That was the that was the minimum viable product, and I think it's fantastic. Uh, just just to demonstrate if there was traction, and actually there was. So he he, he actually ended up doing this book. But I think that if you uh, having raised money, I think the best for me the best moment to raise money is to have done your own homework. To make sure that your business is scalable, has traction, and makes money, because otherwise you will waste you, you will waste your time and waste the time of, of 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 investors. Just to conclude, actually, there is one thing that is is at my heart in this, and I that's the way I try to explain it is entrepreneur. We tend to fall in love with our ideas. It's, it's, you know. And actually, that, that's that's something we need to be very careful about. I try to be as as emotionally detached as I can during this early phase, uh, even, even in video game, you know, uh, before the launch of Vikings Gone Wild, which was the first part of At Every Day Play, uh, the months before the launch, and we worked on it for eight months, I had the one-one with every single of my employees telling them, listen, we're about to soft launch this game we might shut it down next month if it's not working out. I just want you to know that. And I think it's important to uh, to not date, date the wrong girl too long. And that's, that's the about dating, that you might fall in love with a girl, but if you're allergic to cats and she has cats all over her house, just let it go. It's not for you. And I think that as entrepreneur, there's so many ideas where we can spend our time on that. Um, getting the right one, which is one that's as the right traction, as uh, money ties, and, and uh, as the right market size is pretty important. So before trying to raise money and scale this up, do this some work, because when you will go to actually raise money, you will be able to do the demonstration that You know what you're doing and you know why you need money and how this money can actually grow the business and not just support your potential research and potential failure.
1: And we'll we'll put a link into your company website in the the show notes that go with the podcast, but maybe not everyone listening will be aware of what viking vikings gone wild is i remember when you first announced at at one of the startup community meetings that you you want someone to help you develop a leading or the leading city defense game Uh, i didn't know what a city defense game was Uh, and i i understand that and you know you talked about in-game in-game articles and monetization But maybe you could uh, say and maybe also maybe with a couple of statistics of what the the business is doing now, what in terms of traffic and maybe any revenue figures you're ready to share. And uh, I I remember the days when you got your first customers, which were pretty exciting. But maybe what is the game and where is it now? And, And when did you first realize it might
2: succeed? So I'm in the uh, uh, social gaming business and what we do uh, at Everyday Play is uh, called free-to-play games. Uh, The model is that our games are free to download and we monetize through microtransactions within the game. Uh, What kind of microtransactions? Well, uh, transactions that will help you uh, accelerate real-time, will help you buy some better equipment basically virtual, virtual items or currency that uh, will affect or improve your in-game experience. Um, at Kobojo, we used to do that, uh, but with a target called casual, casual games, which is basically a, a very wide audience. Uh, and the business model of those type of games required a, a very large amount of users because the average revenue per user will be around 2 to $0.03 cents on a daily basis. Um, starting every day I play again and knowing that I didn't have uh, the type of traffic that Kobojo had at that time because it's just that time was gone and it's just a different era. Uh, We're doing what's called mid-core game which is basically uh, uh, a game that's slightly more difficult oriented for through actual uh, I would say hardcore players in a sense Uh, but with a visual uh, that still wants to be uh, with for a wide audience, and this has been successful for us. We see about uh, twenty cent uh, twenty cent dollar per active daily users, and this has allowed us to make a profitable business with uh, a, a lot less traffic than than Kuberger used to have. Uh, the company today makes uh, between one hundred hundred fifty thousand dollars a month. We employ twenty-two uh, people, and uh, uh, so there, thanks to also Poland's, uh, I would say, uh, cost of cost of business running a business here, it leaves us enough room for us to uh, to actually uh, make benef- benefits and 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 uh, stay free of publishers or investors for a while. Um, yeah. So that's, that will be a picture of what we do and where we are at. Okay.
1: You, you raise, you raised the issue of the, the cost of doing business here. And part of the purpose of this, of, of, of this project, Kashmir podcast is to, to underline to people who might have no idea where, where Cashmere is, where Krakow is, where Poland is, that there's this country in Europe, which is, can be quite an attractive place for a tech entrepreneur such as yourself from, from France or from wherever. Um, it, we just had, uh, uh, earlier today, we were talking to the former head of Google, Krakow, who said that you know Sergey Brin from Google has said they didn't come to Poland because it's cheap. You know they were looking for talent. But maybe you could you could comment on the cost and also on the quality of the of the people that you're you're hiring. Some of whom I've, I know. I think one of the co-founders of a business I invested in that that, that failed. Uh, Michal is now working for you, so I, I know something about the I know something about the the talents
2: available. But could you comment on that? Because yeah, you, actually, cause... actually, it's a it's a great story. Uh, and my story with Poland actually started a while back. I used to work for Microsoft in Ireland in 2006 as a programmer, and actually, I was the third programmer hired off what would become a 40, 40 developer team two years later. And when I left that team two years later. Uh, actually, half of those developers were Polish, but not because of Polish migration in Ireland, be, but because of the fact that they were just the most talented guy we had. And actually, we were fleeing them over from Wrocław, from Krakow, from Warsaw and uh, to, to Ireland. So um, turns out that when I left Kobojo, we actually initially wanted to move to, uh, to, to San Francisco, which is where my, my wife is from. Uh, but, uh, our parents actually recently at the time moved to move to Kraków and, and, and proposed, why don't you spend some time with us? And, uh, and, uh, I knew the cost of Ling was cheaper. Uh, but I also knew that there was really talented developers, uh, in, in the country. And, uh, and so, so put together it was a no-brainer i knew i wanted to self-finance this company and i knew that there was actually no way to self-finance this another studio moving to san francisco um so it was it's it, it becomes like uh almost a no-brainer for me to to move here once i moved here uh not only did i found talented developers but i also found really really talented artists um and um and and overall i think that's uh Really, really nice people. I have no will to move out of this country anytime soon. On top of that, Krakow is is an absolutely beautiful city with uh, with uh, with a beautiful center, 250,000 students or 200,000 students. Very active nightlife. Uh, very a uh, very energetic uh, in, uh, sorry energetic city. Um, at the end of the day, I am incredibly happy to be here.
1: Yes, I I think you mentioned the, the, you know, the attitude to foreigners is, I I think that, you know, particularly in a time when many countries are putting up barriers, you know, the the fact that uh, maybe for whatever historical reasons, whether it's the the Krakow's traditional center as a, a trading hub, or whether it's the fact that you know the artificial exclusion from the world economy thanks to communism means that people are glad to be going in the other direction you know foreign business people such as yourself and and me we and sam for that matter feel feel very welcome here and it's it, you know it goes against the image of the the sometimes the media gives the impression that central europe's rather intolerant but it's it, it feels to it feels i think it you feel you've, you've told me yourself it, people you, you really feel welcome here right
2: yeah absolutely there, there is also something important important is that uh when i moved here i did not speak polish and i'm still in the process to do so um and uh i i, I remember very perfectly being at microsoft interviewing all those people which all had an incredible incredibly perfect english and i was asking so where, where did you leave like to learn i've never left poland before and so uh so i think there's uh the, the language barrier actually is 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 very low, in my opinion, especially in the uh, in, in the age in the, in the age bracket of the people I work with. My I think the the age average of my company is twenty seven. Um, but uh, so 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 that that really helps a lot as well because I I never felt any barrier language uh, since I've been here.
1: And, and your, your circumstances were like, I, I think there's a bit of your life history you left out that I remember we were talking about uh, different kind of social issues. And you said that, you, I think we were talking, there'd been some riots somewhere and you're saying you you weren't that far away from being a, a kid on the streets who might be taking part in a riot rather than, rather than being worried about it. And, um, what was, what, what sort of characteristics do you think that were in you? And if people and re- remember, we have people from all over the world listening and like the idea of a, a kid on the streets in, in, in Paris or wherever ending up being a technology entrepreneur via Microsoft might seem like an unlikely journey, but what, what do you think it was about you that made you like entrepreneur material? Uh, if you like, if you do some like self analysis of your own personality, because people don't really know what you're like you know, from the
2: basis of what we've asked you so far. It's so it's, it's funny. It's a, uh, I, thanks for asking this question. Um, the story is, is, I was I was 12 years old and I had uh, and this is scientific magazine, whatever, which had like one programming section, which was a very compact, quick, basic code. I went to my dad, we just acquired a, a brand new computer and asked him, can I type this inside the computer? And um, it, I didn't know at the time, he put me in front of a, comp, a quick, basic compiler. I, I diligently typed every single letter press f five, and this stuff showed me circles bouncing on the screen, and I was absolutely amazed. And I think that's that was the starting point. The, the key of it was that, as a twelve years old, I found a place where I could, you know, on the edge of being a teenager, found a place where I could create and define a world um, in the in the shape I, I I wanted to. There was also something that my father absolutely refused for me to have: a video game console. At the time, I don't know why it was. Oh, we have a PC, would we'll never buy a, a video game console. So, so, but there was not much games on, on on this stuff. So, combining both, I decided to to write games. And actually, I, I wrote about eight video games from thirteen to nineteen years old. Uh, I was lucky to find uh, the my best friend at the time, which was an artist in becoming a guy really really talented. And we just spent our time together all the time. He was making art. I was making code. And I think that, uh, yeah, the, the story you're, you're talking about is the fact that actually most... And firstly, I was born in a, in a fairly poor and, and and not so happy place in the, sou- in the south suburb of Paris. And a lot of my friends of the time actually didn't end up in, in great places. And um, But the fact that I knew I wanted to be a programmer, I had this capacity to create, to express myself uh changed completely the way I, I look at life and, and I knew at like at 16 I knew what I wanted to do with my life in a very strong way. So so that has shaped a lot of stuff. And uh and and so I've been trying to uh share this with uh, with younger as as a teacher um and also as trying to organize some uh NGO related to teaching video game programming to kids. Um mm-hmm to, to kind of reproduce that same experience and share it.
0: Vincent, I I think, um, one of the things that, you know, for listeners who, who have some experience in this that you brought up, I'd, I'd like to explore a little bit is the, the programmer artist relationship. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've been amazed because I've, I've always worked remotely with developers and programmers and designers and, you know, it wasn't until I got to Krakow and found this uh, incredible talent pool that I, I started to hire uh, designers first, and then the designers were complaining that their design wasn't being implemented properly, so they wanted the developers next to them, and I quickly realized that I needed to just shut everything down everywhere else I had it going mm-hmm. and, and just centralize my uh, operations in one office and, and um, you know... The thing that I found, and everyone talks about Ageha and the the um, the the programming side of Krakow, but I think one of the hidden secrets here is the artistic side. And you think of Jagiellonian and and, and the, the the cultural richness. So you, you go to the center of Krakow, the amazing National History Museum, the art there is stunning, and that tradition in Krakow is extremely strong. And the design community is really good. And and it's hard to put a value on the right design or the right designer who can, can put that out there. So what, what has your experience been here in taking your vision and, and getting designers to give some, some real life to it?
2: So it's it's a very good point. Um, uh, well, I have a special story about that because when I, when I moved here, the first person I wanted to find was a designer because I was a programmer. So I kind of wanted to reconstitute What's had been kind of my... Uh, actually, uh, moving out of Kobojo, I was in a journey to kind of find the simplest route to happiness. And simplest route to happiness was to reproduce that programmer-designer stuff. And I found Radek, with the co-founder of Everyday Play. Um, and uh, and I put an ad on, on Gumtree. Uh, I didn't know where to put it at the time. And I received so many CVs and so many, uh, so many stuff. And, and, and I met Radek was this incredibly talented guy who actually just happened to leave the company he was working for a t-shirt company he left it 6 months ago because he wanted to be a video game artist and he thought if i'm if i'm working for this company i'm never going to find a job in a video game I did this girl, I need to, I need to dump it for, to find the right girl. I want to be with in a sense, you know, as an image. And he did. So when I met him, he was, uh, he was not only a a designer, but he also was, He was for me an entrepreneur. Like the, the, the movie he did to look for that job was very strong. Um, I totally agree with what you're saying about, uh, the synergy between designer and developer. I, I don't believe into especially in the video game industry I don't believe into remote work some people make it work I don't know how they do it I have uh, I think that the the, the most the, the it's it, I think you have to 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 witness it yourself to see a programmers and artists sitting in the same room working, working together and to finding the the, 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 the the trick, the you know, the the the, the magician trick on the, with the minimum art and 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 some coding behind to find the right thing. The, the Krakow community in terms of art is is pretty amazing. I have uh, six artists at Kobojo. they are all so talented. We recently had an internal game jam. Uh, I decided to do that for two days. We we dropped the pen out of the noble roadmap and uh anybody in the company could team up with anybody to try to make up their own game for two days and uh and even through this open exercise uh uh, it's amazing so actually really the city really has both they have very strong engineer school and actually one of my lead developers used to be an intern out of agera and went through being an intern to a full-time employee to a lead developer um, and uh, incredibly talented uh, artist. There is one thing on the artist side, though, is that there is a very classical painting, uh, drawing kind of uh, heritage in those schools. And the, a lot of the people that I've met have told me that they had to work their way out to become digital uh, and so, so there might still be a bridge here uh, that is uh, that I hope is is being built. Uh, but uh, the story of my co-founder Radek is that when he took his first job, uh, they were like, "Do you know Photoshop?" He said, "Uh huh." And he came back home and and opened Photoshop. And said, "Okay, all the stuff does this work because uh, all his theoretical uh, study were actual physical painting or drawing." Uh, but um, but. People here have this. Uh, sorry, I'm French, so I don't pronounce the H for This hunger to uh, to to learn and 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 do things. And at the end of the day, I, I I really I'm really lucky to have found really talented people here.
0: I think one of the things you really brought up there that you know I don't. You said I don't know how people could do virtual work in the video game world. Well, I, I did virtual work. Um, and it was very useful as, a, as an American, where wages are, are much higher and, and cost and, and talent is not nearly as concentrated as it was. If you know where I was living and working in upstate New York, I couldn't have found a designer or programmer within, you know, fifty miles of me that would have come close. And even if I went down to New York City, um, the cost of hiring those designers and programmers would have been prohibitive. So I still would have been working remotely. So that's why I decided to go the virtual route. And and the the best place I found for the cost and the budget I had at that time was in the Philippines. The problem was it was, you know, halfway around the world, literally a 12-hour difference. And I was able to make that work for a while, and it got me to the point where I was. And an amazing staff over there that that did amazing things for me. Um, But I found that when I went and visited them, it was much better. You know, and, and and their productivity shot up after we had that personal connection. And I, I just went and started visiting more and more. And then eventually I realized that um, I wanted to settle down and live in one place and chose Krakow. And that's why I've consolidated my operations here. But I think the synergy and the speed of production and the quality of production I've, I've noticed by having everyone in one office has been amazing. And... You know, a lot of American companies like to offshore here, but my, my point or my idea that, that you seem to have hit also is, well, why don't you just move here and do the whole thing? Yeah,
2: I think I think that. Uh, so, like you, I I experienced it also, and that's why I've been especially for everyday place. So, like, it was so important for me. I am not looking for any remote people, um, and I have I have worked especially in the period where I was doing a lot of lean startup experimentation. It's so easy, you know, to get uh, someone... Uh, I had I had people uh, even in, in Afghanistan making some code in .NET for me um, through uh, through some of those uh, freelancer.com and stuff like that. Uh, th- these works if you know exactly what you want. And if you can communicate it properly, then execution can come out properly. But if there is any form of reflection of, you know, like express yourself and you're like oh basically you you are hoping for an input from the person of an influence then uh, then this becomes more complicated because there is nothing more powerful than you know going on the drop like on a on the whiteboard with someone and say okay listen why don't we do something like this what do you think oh no maybe we should do that oh you're right maybe there's and and, and here you start to build something with someone else uh, and and we build but in this remote conversation, the only successful one I had is when I knew exactly what I wanted to add, but like exactly. And it's really it was about execution, not so much um, conversation.
1: Which, of course, for a, for a startup where you're iterating and making frequent changes and you're, you're looking for the right way, you know, maybe outsourcing is good if you want to clone an existing website, but it's very bad if you want to create a brand new one with any kind of new functionality or a new game for that matter.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, and in in terms of um, just for the sake of listeners, and also for myself that I get on in business, what 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 sort of things does someone study to become a designer, and what does it? I I think many people have got a concept. the, The the coder or the software developer writes code, but is is the designer? is that an artistic job or is it more like a kind of systems architecture what what do, what does a designer do for you
2: or what does a designer do for but, an so I, so maybe you want to answer that Sam because I don't have designer I have artists in my company uh, so uh, but but maybe Sam do you want to answer this well
0: one? I, I've had a and I don't know how it works in the video <laughs> video game in industry but I've had a very interesting education the last few months few months just working with designers there's many different types you have the um user experience designer who who develops the the flow and the architecture. They're they're like a, almost a systems engineer that lays it out for the 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 user interface designer and the and then the developer and the user interface designer goes in and takes that roadmap of the flow and the logic and the, the elements that need to be there and and they put on the the artistic touch and the artistic touch is so subjective and sometimes you have to test it to see what works, but that that's what makes people actually do the things that the UX designer says need to be done. You know, the, the button color, the button placement, the, you know, then you get into copywriting and everything else. And I, and I know that for you, uh, in the video game world, I'd be fascinated to hear how your interaction (laughs) works with artists because, you know, for us that you've got to design the template for the artist to work on. Yeah. Um, so, So,
2: so it's, it's, it's funny because it's, uh, in a sense, there are two very colliding and 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 you know one is left uh, is a left brain type of guy and the other one is a right brain type of guy, and, uh, and, so, uh, and and so and and so this is amazing when you can really get them to collaborate and and have this communication rolling. Um, you know uh, what can I say about that? The, 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 mm, I think that's. The the key is to have the the right project management or or have on each side of the team people who, uh, who can, who can, where basically the best guy in my lead developer is a guy who uh, has has a very strong sense of artistic. And I think that's actually at my company, I don't have developers. I have game developers. And it's a very important thing that basically in in my, in my genre, um, I expect for my developer to have this kind of visual uh, expectation, you know, like my lead developer is like, I think we should do this effect. I, you know, I I have this trick I can do to, uh, to optimize this thing. And then you put an artist in the same room and said, can you make, like, can you make a a, a texture? So, so when both know how to communicate, basically the, the developers are an enabler for artists to do something beautiful on top of it. And, uh, and sometimes, what comes out of this bouncing is is is, is incredible. Okay, um, I don't just, know if you really answered your question, Richard. I I I, I'm, I I think that I may have to ask that question to a few more
1: people before I get I get there. But I, I wanted to ask about your your personal roadmap because like uh, entrepreneurship is like every life is a journey, but probably usually an entrepreneur's life is a bit more a journey under more control, maybe than someone who's working for someone else. But yeah, I think you mentioned the business is making maybe one hundred fifty thousand dollars a month. So, you know, it, uh, today's exchange rate, that's, you know, that's getting towards between one and a half and $2 million a year, which is a great situation to be in, but uh, I, kn- I know you well enough to, s- to know that you're probably not going to just like sit there and do nothing. Um, are you going to be launching more games in the Everyday I Play studio? Because I think you mentioned that a company is to focus on one game rather yes. than do lots of games. Or are you going to be investing in other kinds of businesses? And if-, if you're investing in new businesses, will they be also games businesses in Krakow? Or do, do you have like a clear idea of where
2: you're going to go next? So... So uh, we have been working for the last nine months, ten months maybe, uh, on the next game, which is like uh, two to four weeks away from soft launch. You know, it's like making a game is like making a house. You know, when it starts, you never know when it's when it's actually ready. Um, but uh, because you know, this level of polish polishing can can go uh, pretty far. But yeah, we're about to launch a new game uh, in my industry, actually. The life the life cycle of a game is is in average three years. Uh, after three years, the game will still keep making money, but. Uh not in a way that might be sustainable it some actually last uh, six years but then it's a lucky shot so it was important for us to uh to prepare the future and 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 uh, create a, a second game uh i yeah one of the mantra i had moving here was one game at a time at kobojo uh, when we raised money a lot of it uh, the expectation was to make up to six games at a time and i and i find it incredibly difficult um it, it was difficult because the guy like the obviously you need to find the right people the right artists the right developers um and and, and actually overall on that we actually found what's pretty hard is to find people product manager who actually have experience making you know free to play games and those were a lot harder to go by in 2011 uh, when we IPR grew. And um, and so, from out of that lesson, I think that uh, not, not not relying on being able to find that person here in Poland, uh, I decided to go on one game at a time, meaning that uh, I, I will act as a product manager uh, and and focus solely on one game at a time because it was the only way at the time, at the early start of Kobojo, that we were really successful. When we had one game at a time, all of them were successful, and it proved again that it worked out for me because Vikings Gone Wild, after eight months of development, grew to to a multi million dollar business. So, so uh, so that's a recipe that's important to make that new game. Actually, I had to find a product manager to take over Vikings Gone Wild, and actually, it's it's uh, it's how you know him, uh, uh, Richard. Um, we we worked together for six months. Um, Teaching him the tricks and tips uh, on you know what's the what's the right decision in a roadmap, how do you prioritize feature, how do you optimize retention, monetization. And it left me the room to actually focus myself on the next one. Uh solely. I think that focus uh in what you do is at least for me, since I've been through both a high time of defocus and focus. The, looking at the pattern, it's very clear. I was successful only when I was doing this one thing at a time, when actually I was going to bed and waking up in my shower absolutely obsessed with details, obsessed with, like, and how am I going to do this this tutorial and this thing, and going to work and driving and sitting because and coming back at lunch and uh, shaking my head in front of my wife, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm still thinking about that to get to that level of detail that the final product is just beyond, uh, like, above the 90 percent so, so it, uh, sounds,
1: and, it sounds like you personally are going to be very involved in the the next game you're launching in a few weeks time right
2: yes uh, yes and yes,
1: what, yes. what about your business your business strategy because i know that at one stage uh, i think you put a very small amount of money you, you lost less than i did in racinglife.net right <laughs> yeah
2: I, di- I didn't put much in racing life at the end but um uh so uh, at this stage, actually, so so I was very lucky uh, after after ten months, every day play existed, we got approached by a very rich Israeli company who acquired twenty five percent of the company. Um, it was for me uh, I think it was a good move for the companion for myself. I, I I was lucky to actually have some personal dividend out of it. But it was also uh, very good for the company because it, it helped us raise uh, $500,000, uh, not from a VC, but from another social gaming company, which for the last year, I've been uh, taking care of launching every single product. I mean, uh, my key banking zone went well on every single platform that's around, which is iOS, Android, in a very successful way, in a very large way. Things we, I, we couldn't have done. Um, and so, uh, so, so, working with these people, we are. Uh, 2015 is is basically still in the same trend. Basically, trying to uh, launch a successful game on on mobile platform. I, actually, it's funny. So, just to summarize, the truth is. Right now, we're 22 people, which is for me the maximum size I wanted this company to be because I don't want to grow and because I believe that uh, there is uh, an intrinsic uh, value to the fact that you remain small no matter how success- financially successful you are. But the reason of saying small for me was to make sure that the the people are talented, they are focused, uh, everybody knows them, that there is a trust because it's more of that everybody trusts each other in order for us to really... Make top worldwide games. So the goal, this business goal for this 2015, is still that: try to launch a game that is again in the top 10 percent of video game in the world, uh, that will be financially successful, um, and uh, and and keep grow the uh, the impacts that the company is having on, on both for players and in regard of of our industry. I think this is, this is the goal that we have and, and we'll try to achieve. But you know, like, like in any business, games or not, um, this game might fail and it's okay. We'll let go uh, and work on the next one. I think that uh, especially in the entertainment business, the, the likelihood of, 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 and the risk of, of, uh, of failure is, is fairly high. Uh, because every game is like reinventing a new business in a sense, uh, as much as there is some basic models in the way you monetize this those those products in a sense, you can make a good movie and just have two really bad movies right after and be the same director, and then you have a fourth one that works so um so it is to say sharp focused um, not don't fall in love too hard with this thing you do in order to in order to be able to bounce and actually capitalize on the cash you have left to actually have another iteration. And uh, and, and, and I find a lot of parallels with this that you have when you actually try to disrupt and in, in, in startup.
1: Okay, so so that's very clear in terms of the strategy for the company. Uh, I, I, and if anyone listening to this had a, I, I know you, you give your, your very limited time away, quite generously to very generously to give an hour or two advice to different startups. But uh, would you, yeah, from, from my perspective, from just a business logic point of view, you'd be an ideal shareholder for someone who had a game of, global potential because you'd be very smart money but are you actually considering at all investing in if someone listening to this wanted to approach you with a investment proposal do you have the time to talk to them or are you, are you just going to focus on your your core business for now
2: actually uh we, we're not interested to talk to vc but if you're a video game uh, uh entrepreneur and uh, let, let's chat i'm i'm really happy to uh, to meet more people who do the same thing and we might uh, find some synergy so i'm um, I uh, would be very happy to talk to other uh, video game entrepreneur.
1: Okay, we can't we can't guarantee we'll find someone, but I I, I, I really love <laughs> knowing knowing people. Who, I I love knowing people who know more than I do, which is almost everybody. <laughs> um, but um, it, just to before before we wrap up, I mean the the objective of this podcast is about uh, putting cashmere uh, in Krakow, uh, the the assets, the benefits we've al- already talked about this a little already so i don't want to repeat yourself but you know if you had a message that just imagine some guy in you know santiago chile or sydney australia or some village in africa um um, who just who had the the potential to to relocate here what what, and who had an idea you came here with an existing skill set you were already successful in the games industry but suppose someone's just a young man or woman who's ambitious has a little bit of money but not any
2: particular skill set is krakow a good place for them to come I think I think it's it's the perfect place. The truth is it is a very it's a highly competitive place in terms of uh, cost of employment. Um so it, it leaves you a lot more room to actually self-finance and we kinda went through that lightly and how for me it's so important that you actually self-finance the beginning of your startup, so that you don't waste your time trying to convince people for six months. It's an incredibly a uh, large pool of talented young people. A lot, of, a lot of school. The education system in Poland is incredibly good and difficult. So the people coming out of it are actually really, really skilled, um, uh, both on the artistic and the uh, and the engineering sides, with a very strong engineering uh, side. And overall, Kakao is an absolutely amazing place. I just love it. I can bike everywhere. Uh, it's proper winter, proper summer. Um, it's, it's as a lot of green places. I, I love the place I am. I love the people I work with and I would recommend anyone if, uh, if, if they're looking for a place to start something, I would definitely recommend Kaka. No, no question asked.
0: Well, Vincent, thank you again for, um, you know, sharing your insights. I think anyone who listens to this would would be very uh um you know, just I, I think you got a lot of lessons from how to develop uh lean startup methodology to uh financing, when to look for financing, when to self finance and and also um, you know, how to build a team and, and and focus. And that's a great point that I think that alone could be a whole nother podcast episode of of what focus will do for your business versus, uh, chasing everything at once. So, um, great insights. And, 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 lastly, um, you know, again, as part of the expat community here in Krakow, that's, uh, kind of fallen for this place. Um, you know, given that message to people who, who might be looking for something new and a new adventure. And, and I, I joke with Piotr Willem. I said, the East is the new West. Uh, the American West had the you know the the startup gold rush mentality in Silicon Valley, obviously being the modern incarnation of that. But I think it's actually all flowing east now.
2: Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree.
1: Okay, well, um, thank you very much indeed for your for your time on this Sunday afternoon. I'll let you get back to your your long suffering family who sound like sound like they have to compete they have to compete quite hard with those little Vikings for your attention, right? <laughs>
0: Maybe, maybe. Okay. And, and and Richard, um, finally, just again, th- thank you. Um, I'd just like to thank uh, Project Kajimej listener. Thank you for uh, investing in your, your education uh, on uh, what it takes to be um, innovative. And uh, if you're from the Krakow community listening to a story of a great success story, and if you're uh, anywhere else in the world um, being inspired by... Um, uh, this story of of uh, how to grow your own business and be successful and, and, and also find the right place to do it in the world because a lot of us in, in the very connected world um, might be looking for new opportunities. So until next episode, um, this is Richard Lucas and Sam Cook and our guest Vincent signing off from Project Kajumez Radio. Thank you for showing your support for innovation in Europe. Tell other innovators about the entrepreneurial movement by leaving a review in iTunes. For detailed show notes and community updates, visit projectkazimierz.com